we're good to go. Good morning. Welcome to Westview. It's good to be preaching live and in person for this morning. We're finishing our last sermon on Exodus. I was a little nervous when Tyler introduced this as my final sermon, but I think it uh, is a good description of a final sermon on the book of Exodus. I want to read to you from Exodus 40, which is the last chapter and the last verses of this book. From verse 33 on, it goes like this. Then Moses set up the tabernacle and the altar and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. And then the glory covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud didn't lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the, all the house of Israel during all their travels. Father God, as we open your word, as we finish this series on Exodus, we just pray, O oh God, that you would speak to us afresh this morning from your word, that we would hear you and that we would learn something for ourselves, as well as something about the way you have worked in the life of the Israelites. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we've called this sermon, The End, with a question mark, because we come to the end of this walk through the book of Exodus. And it's been an interesting journey, at least for me, about how life changed for the Israelites, from starting in Exodus in Egypt, in slavery, and ending now in the wilderness, now with this tabernacle. And during the same time, life has changed for us. Where we started this series is not the way it is around us today. And yet today we know, as the people of Israel did, that we can hold on to the knowledge that God is present with us and he's leading us on our journey even through uncertain times. Somehow through these weeks, I'm sort of coming back to the great hymns that I grew up on. And one of those hymns is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The line comes from the Bible. It actually comes from the Book of Lamentations. The Book of Lamentations is a five-chapter poem written lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. It's a very depressing book in many ways. It's talking about how life has become chaotic with the Babylonians attacking and destroying Jerusalem. And yet the writer talks about how everything has been turned upside down and chaotic. And then right in the middle, he has these lines. And they go like this. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. And that's a great promise in the midst of chaotic times, that God is present there. But one line from that hymn is always the one that echoes in my heart. And it's this line, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And I just think that that could well be a summary of the book of Exodus. It's Strength for today in the midst of this wilderness wandering, but this bright hope for tomorrow 
that we're being drawn towards the promised land. So just to remind ourselves of the story one last time, the book of Genesis told us about Abraham and God's call. It told us about Abraham's son Isaac and his son Jacob and his son Joseph, how they ended up in Egypt as slaves. Then the book of Exodus picked up and Moses was called by God to lead them out. And after the plagues and the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea, they arrive at Mount Sinai, which is where this story happens. In fact, it's where they'll spend a year. It's where they'll spend the next couple of books of the Bible. And God will give them the Ten Commandments. And then the tabernacle becomes the focus of the rest of the book. And we looked at the first part of that a couple of weeks ago. But today we finish that story. It starts with the building of the tabernacle. And chapters 25 to 31 of Exodus are these detailed instructions for building the tabernacle. They're given in mind-numbing detail. I'd never really thought about it, but Moses gets these by himself on top of Mount Sinai. And I guess he didn't have anything to record it or to write it down with. Maybe he wrote some of it on the palm of his hand, but he memorizes all these details. And then he comes down and he's excited to tell the people that they're going to build this tabernacle. And instead he finds there's this crazy party going on. The people of Israel are having this combination worship service and uh, drunken Mardi Gras celebration all around this idol shaped like a golden calf. And we looked last week at that. <clears throat> and we asked ourselves the question, when God's people mess up, will God forgive them? And we saw last week that God does. He showed it in a half a different ways. And the tabernacle becomes the sign of that. So now the actual building of the tabernacle gets described. And it takes six chapters. It goes from chapter 35 to 40. And it describes how they follow each command to the letter. And you wonder, why the detail? We already got this once. But the building of the tabernacle is a sign of the people's repentance and obedience. And we see it first in their generosity and then in their building. It starts with their giving. Now, over the last 15 years, we've done a major renovation here. Uh, we learned as a church, when you do a building program, you also do a fundraising program. And Moses did this. He asked the people to give to the building of this tabernacle. And there's this verse, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. And maybe you kind of wonder, well, why, if the tabernacle is so important, do we start with the giving towards it? Well, I think when we're tempted by something, we are in that moment choosing who we are going to worship and who we're going to obey. If we choose to sin, we're choosing to worship ourselves. We're choosing to obey our own desires. But if we choose to obey God, we're worshiping him. And in the incident with the golden calf, the, the Israelites were answering the question, who were they going to obey and worship? They were going to go after this Mardi Gras type golden calf rather than God. And I think this is where the giving to the tabernacle comes in. In the story, there's no compulsion. There's no you have to. There's only everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them. And the people were saying who they wanted to worship. I believe something really strongly. I believe in our lives, the use of our money tells us what's important to us. 
And what's important to us is another way of saying what we worship. And I think that money flows from passion to vision. God had given the people a clear vision of what this tabernacle could look like. He was showing them what worship and what his presence would be like. And that was the vision. And the people whose hearts were moved by God, well, that was the passion. And they brought their money. And I just think in our lives the same is true. If we're generous to God's work, and by that I mean not how much you give, but kind of what percentage of what you have you give, then I think it says everything about our passion for God. I think if we struggle to give to God, that's a thermometer of the spiritual passion of our lives. Money flows from passion. But where we spend our money, well, that's what's important to us. If it goes to clothes or eating out or trips, well, then our vision is for pleasure or maybe comfort. If it flows to the church and mission, then the vision is for the kingdom of God. And where our money goes is what we worship. And so Moses encourages giving. And then comes this great verse that sort of comes unexpectedly. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. In other words, the people's generosity met the need. Now, we've experienced that here, too. The day we burnt the mortgage after the renovation of the building and the 11 years of building fund, but we ended our debt. The day we closed our refugee fund because we had all the money we needed to bring Gladys and Atala from Lebanon. But giving is important. Not so much for the money that comes in, but for what it does for us. Over this time, giving gets a little more challenging because we can't pass the offering plate. But we still have ways that you can give. You're welcome to give through push pay on your credit card. You're welcome to mail in a check or drop it off at the office. And you'll be getting an email this week about how you can do e-transfer, where you can just go into your bank account, click on a couple of things, and the money will be transferred to Westview. So stay tuned for that. But Moses starts with the giving, and then they get to the building. And it says that all those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle. In other words, more than just give money, the people used their gifts. They got involved in the ministry, and they helped build the tabernacle. During this time of social distancing, as Tyler was saying, there are needs for people to connect. There are seniors who just need to feel the touch of a caring person. Many in our church don't have family, either in town or in Canada, and caring for each other, serving each other, praying for the world is important. We're starting a new initiative that you'll be getting an email about tomorrow, and it's about being able to bless our immediate neighborhood here at the church. We've had our volunteer team assemble for caring for our neighborhood, and we want to put together three-meal hampers. If you would like to donate food to that, you can do that on Monday from 10 in the morning till 12 at noon. You can just bring food and leave it inside the front doors. You don't have to be in contact with anybody else. Food can include vegetables, fruit, and dairy because we have a fridge space, and we're going to be getting these out quickly. If you have toys or crafts or uh, 
educational supplies, they'd be welcome as well. So check the emails that'll be coming and the website and you'll hear more about that. But just ways of being involved in our neighborhood, of being part of the building of community. And so the people give and the people build and the tabernacle gets finished and then God's glory comes on that tabernacle. God comes and brings his presence. And it's said that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In other words, this tabernacle that was to be a sign of God's presence was now being very, very visibly filled. We read the same thing about 400 years later, Solomon will build the temple in Jerusalem. This is the one out of stone and gold and it says there, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, it's that temple that will be destroyed in 586 that will lead the writer of the book of Lamentations to lament, as he did, as we said in the beginning of the sermon. The temple will be destroyed, but a new one will be started about 70 years later by Ezra. What's interesting is as he rebuilds that temple and as they dedicate it, there is no mention of the glory of God coming and filling it. Instead, that waits for the coming of Jesus, the one who tabernacled among us as we saw. And it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling tabernacle among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, the one who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus is this new tabernacle. He fulfills all that that meant about God being in the midst of us. And he came full of glory, full of grace and full of truth. And because Jesus comes and lives in the middle of us, we can have God's guidance and the people of Israel could have God's guidance. And the last verses we read were about how God was in their midst and guided them with this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud. And it said, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud didn't lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. I don't know if you notice it, but there's a lovely bookend to those verses. They start and end with the same thing in all the travels of the Israelites. And then it goes the other way. All the Israelites during all their travels at the end of it. I think it's, it's his way of summing up what the book of Exodus was about. But what the rest of the books of uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy will be about. That the next 39 years that Israel would travel through the wilderness, they wouldn't be alone, but God would be with them. God would be in their presence. God would be in the midst of them. And they would get eventually to where Joshua would lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. And there the pillar of cloud and fire would stop leading them. And I often hear people say, man, I just wish God would give me that kind of guidance. And I just, we've said this before, but it just bears repeating that that's not the kind of guidance God gives. It's not even the kind of guidance we give to our own children. When they're small, we dress them. As they grow up, we give them choices, this shirt or that shirt. When they go to school, we say, do you want to wear 
which of these school clothes. But there's limits. And then we finally get to the point where we trust them to buy their own clothes and dress in their own style. And we're tempted to go back, but we don't. And I think God does the same with us. When we don't sense God exact leading, maybe it's because he wants us to learn to hear his direction from his Holy Spirit. He doesn't want us to wait for his exact command. He wants us just to be able to hear his direction from his spirit. And as we learn to hear his voice, as we learn to hear what he's directing us with, his direction doesn't end. It just becomes less specific. And when the Israelites eventually enter the promised land, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud doesn't go with them. They have grown up through their time in the wilderness. So we come to the end of the book of Exodus. Interestingly, not to the end of the story. What's interesting about the book of Exodus is that it starts in Hebrew with the word and, which connects it back to Genesis, and it ends without any real conclusion. This was the conclusion. This is the last verses in the book. And it seamlessly connects with the next books of Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. In other words, it's not so much an end to the book as a pause to change scrolls. Because the length of Old Testament books was mostly the length of the scroll that you had and how many scrolls you wanted a book to be on. And so today we come to this end of the book of Exodus, but not to the end of the story. That is going to continue. It'll continue through to Deuteronomy and the death of Moses. It'll keep going with Joshua leading the people across the Jordan into the promised land. In fact, the story is really just beginning. We're only two books into 66 book story. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. Sort of a children's allegory of the biblical story. And he ends the last book in the series called The Last Battle. And the last words in that book are this. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. And in many ways, I think that's a pretty good summary of Exodus. It's one of the first chapters in the story that will climax with the coming of Jesus, the second Moses, the one who will rescue us from slavery to sin, the one who will guide us through the wilderness of life, the one who, as the Apostle John reminds us, was living bread and living water the one who leads us safely to the promised land. Back in 1745, William Williams, a Welsh pastor, wrote a hymn that some of us will remember. And it talks about this whole story of Exodus. He wrote, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. And I think that 
William Williams wrote that hymn as a way of saying that for him, the book of Exodus is not a book of history. It's not a book that's 3,500 years old. The promise of Exodus is that it's not just what happened. It's our story as well. And God will lead us through the uncertainty of our journey, through the wilderness of life, through the uncertainty of all the stuff that we are experiencing around us until we reach the promised land. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. As we go through the challenges of this time, my prayer is that we will Remember that the Bible characters have gone through them. Whether it was the writer of Lamentations who saw the destruction of Jerusalem and in the chaos of that wrote that wonderful thing, Great is thy faithfulness. Whether it's the writer of the book of Exodus who reminds us that even in the midst of the desert, even in the midst of the wilderness, even in the midst of total uncertainty, God is present and he leads and he guides us. He is present in his glory through the tabernacle. And Jesus, who promises as the fulfillment of all that, that he will come and lead and guide us, that he will be God's presence in the midst of us, that his Holy Spirit will come and dwell in the midst of us, that we can be God's people, that we can know his leading, his guiding, his encouraging, that we can feel his presence and his power and his peace. And the book of Exodus reminds us that we're part of the story and reminds us that God is leading us through. Father God, this morning we pray that you would be our guide, that you would be our strength, and that we would know your presence. Father, you are present in our lives through creation as the Father. Your presence in our lives through redemption as the Son. And your presence in our lives through your anointing on us as your Holy Spirit. May we know your presence. May we know your power over all situations. And in the midst of all the things that go around us, may we know your peace that passes all understanding. Go with us into this week, we pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.